Hello, and a very good day to you. My name is Jim Harris, and this is Heritage Bible Radio. Heritage Bible Radio is an extension of Heritage Bible Church in Boise, where it's my joy to serve as the teaching pastor. Every day, we devote our radio time to studying a portion of the Word of God so you can know Him better through Jesus Christ and serve Him better through your local church. Welcome to the Sunday edition of Heritage Bible Radio, where this week we've delved into Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 27. At this point in Jesus' Galilean ministry, he returns home, and from all earthly perspectives, he's in big trouble. He has enraged the hypocritical religious leaders of his time, and they are there looking to arrest and kill him. The crowds are as great as they have ever been, which just irritates the religious leaders even more, and so they accuse him of doing his miracles by the power of Satan. And even Jesus' own earthly family recognize how much trouble Jesus is in, and they come to try to get through the crowds and gather him away to safety and put a stop to this nonsense. But it wasn't nonsense. Jesus really did speak with the authority of God because Jesus really was God, and Jesus wasn't in trouble. As the Son of God, he was in control of everything, just as he is today as the world seems to be tightening around the free practice of Christianity. In this conclusion to the message, we will see Jesus dismantle the ridiculous accusations of the Pharisees, embarrassing again their attempts to discredit him. Here is the final segment of the message entitled, What Do You Think of Jesus? And so, with all these crowds of people over the din of the crowd, he calls the scribes and the Pharisees, Hey, guys, guys, come closer. Yeah, you and you and you and you and you and you and the people you brought. You guys come up here to the front row. But he doesn't whisper to them. He calls them to himself and began speaking to them in parables. Now we're going to see some parables. We'll study some parables in Mark chapter 4 in the, in the coming weeks. Uh, the idea of parable, it literally means to cast alongside. It's where you use something that people know and understand, like if they're good at growing wheat. You might use planting seed and growing wheat or planting a wheat field and then having to deal with, with, uh, with, with weeds in it. Use something people understand and you lay it alongside something that you're trying to show them. And by comparison between what they understand and what you're trying to teach them, they learn by comparison. That's what he's saying. He's going to speak to them in parables, or maybe in this case, we might even say um, analogies. So he calls these guys to himself, and, and even though he wants to make sure he's looking them in the eye, they're hearing it first and foremost. Everybody is hearing this. He called them to self and began speaking to them in parables. He starts out by saying, How can Satan cast out Satan? Now, that's a pretty obvious question. Do any of you know how to throw yourself out of this room? I mean, it's it's absurd. If he's casting out demons by the power of Satan, then Satan is opposing Satan. And then (laughs) he elaborates. Look at the next three verses. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. 
If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is finished. I don't think that needs a lot more explanation. But he gives you one more illustration, one more analogy, one more little parable, if you, say, if you care, care to call it that. Mark 3.27 But no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. You can't break into anyone's house and take their stuff unless you can overpower the owner and the occupant of the house. So Jesus' point is that not only is he not empowered by Satan, he is infinitely more powerful than Satan. He's undoing what Satan has been doing behind the scenes. Or in other words, once again, Jesus is claiming to be God. The demons are subject to him. And Matthew inserts before that part about the kingdom divided that he was knowing their thoughts. So one more evidence of his deity. He's omniscient. He knows what's going on in their minds. And he makes the proclamation. So Jesus speaks up. He turns the discussion inside out against the Pharisees. It's obvious to everyone. He has power over the demons. Plus... There are all the hundreds of other miracles that have been going on day after day. Plus, he knows what they're thinking before they said anything. So look at this text. The people thought Jesus was absolutely amazing. They couldn't stay away. His family thought he was a lunatic. The Pharisees said he was a deceiver. The facts as Jesus presented them, showed that Jesus is God. The life, the words, the ministry of Jesus Christ demands a response. Now, he didn't invent the terminology, but C.S. Lewis is credited for having made popular that famous set of three possibilities concerning Jesus. Classic outline. People have used it many times. And I think it's very good possibility C.S. Lewis might have gotten that idea from this passage. He said, he must be a liar. That's what the Pharisees were saying. Or a lunatic. That's what his half-brothers were saying. Or he's the Lord. You read in Lewis's testimony of coming to faith in Jesus Christ, which happened back in 1929, that it was after he had had many, many interactions with Christian friends. By the way, if you have a non-Christian friend and you keep talking to them and talking to them and talking to them, they haven't keep talking. You might have the next C.S. Lewis on your block. And it was after many conversations. He, he tells his testimony of coming to faith in Jesus Christ, and he says he was drawn to God in spite of his own attempts to resist. Let me, let me read to you from his biography. He says this, You must picture me alone in that room in Magdalene. Now, 
think it has anything to do with Mary Magdalene. It's the, the hall in which his office was in Oxford or wherever it was he worked. You must picture me alone in that room in Magdalene, night after night, feeling, whenever my mind lifted even for a second from my work, the, and now listen to this description of God, the steady, unrelenting approach of Him whom I so earnestly desired not to meet. That which I greatly feared had at last come upon me. In the third term of 1929, I gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed. Perhaps that night, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all England. Isn't that an interesting way to describe yourself? I I just got saved. Reluctantly. Did, I mean, imagine how much he had to admit he'd been wrong about. And he put it in print. That's what he was dejected about. But then he goes on to explain in response to anyone who might suggest that, you know, you, you can have reverence for Jesus. You can have good feelings about Jesus, but not necessarily get radical about it. Lewis explained why that opinion is not logically tenable. Back to his words that he wrote. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I am ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the, on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. Isn't that cool? But you realize that's where you have to go. When you investigate Jesus, you'll find out He's real. You'll find out He did all those things that are recorded. And so you've got, or all those things recorded of Him are recorded accurately. So you've got to say He either is a liar, a deceiver of the first order, or He's nuts, or He's the Lord. And if He's the Lord, then He's the one that you must answer to. What do you think of Jesus? That's why this text is here. And the rest of Mark and Matthew and Luke and John and the other books of the Bible. Heavenly Father, thank you for putting this before us. Thank you for calling it to our attention today. May you be exalted by our responses to our crucified and risen Savior. Thank you for 
um, making it so that not only can we have our sins forgiven, but we can be your instruments to speak your truth in love and to spread the gospel wherever you may take us. If you would like this message on Compact Disc, let me know and we'll send it to you. You'll receive the entire message, not just the portion on today's program. You can order by phone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704 or on the internet at hbc-boise.org. Heritage Bible Radio needs your prayers and your financial support. Once again, you can reach us online at hbc-boise.org or by telephone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704. And if you need a church home here in the Treasure Valley, I hope you'll visit us any Sunday at 7071 West Emerald. For Heritage Bible Radio, I'm Jim Harris. See you next time. Bye-bye.